Why did Jesus come? That's the direction that we'll be going uh, this morning. Don't know if we'll continue on this subject over the weeks to come or not. But I'm going to ask you this morning if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 13. And uh, just if you will, as I'll be reading it in just a few minutes. But as you look at it, if you'll just keep your finger as we're going, I'm going to be stopping along the way and and uh, speaking and expounding on what they're saying so that we'll have a great understanding of what the Scripture is trying to tell us. Again, I think we're going to be amazed when we start looking at why did Jesus come and we start seeing so many answers to that one question. When I finally get to the text of the message and the, uh, the main outline of the message, we've got three reasons that we're going to mention of why Jesus came. But until then, let's look at a couple of things before we get there. One of the things that I do want us to look at is why did Jesus, what did Jesus not come to do? Let's just get this out of the way, right at the very front. There's a lot of reasons that Jesus came, some more important than the other ones, but let's just get out of the way one of the things that Jesus did not come to do, and when we look in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, He did not come for the righteous, but He came for the sinners. Now when you look in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, you'll remember Paul is ta- or, or Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And they didn't like what Jesus had to say. He said, listen, the healthy have no need for a doctor. He says, I did not come for the righteous. I came for the sinner. So understand, if you're here this morning, and, and I don't know how many people I have asked this. I've asked a lot of people, and this I pretty much get the, uh, the, uh, a, a common answer amongst them. I'll ask them, if, if you, when you stand before God, and you think you're fixing to go into heaven, why should God let you into heaven? And this is what most people that are unsaved, this is their reply. Well, I'm just a pretty good guy. I provide for my family. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I'm just a pretty good guy. And they compare themselves to other people. I'm a whole lot better than so-and-so. When I get to heaven, I think God's going to look at me and say, Well, you know what? You are. You're a pretty good fella. But you need to understand something. God is not going to compare you with other people. God is going to compare you with Himself. That's why in Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We fall short. So if you don't compare yourself to God and in His righteousness, we need to understand, Jesus did not come for the people who call themselves righteous already, because until you realize that you're a sinner and you fall short, there's no way you can be saved. So as long as you think you're righteous... Jesus did not come for the self-righteous. He came for the lost. Another one He did not come to do. In John 3, 17, Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world that man might be saved. Jesus did not come to this earth to stand and point His finger at people and say, Oh, you're bad. Oh, you're bad. Oop, not you. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to this earth to provide salvation. 
He did not come to the world to condemn the world. So we're just looking at a few of the things that Jesus did not did not come for. Here's another one. He did not come to do away with the law. He did not come to do away with the law. Now this is kind of confusing to some folks because we do understand that today we live under grace. We do not live under the law. But when we understand who Jesus is speaking to, Jesus has come to the nation of Israel and He is telling the nation of Israel, listen, I did not come to do away with the law. I come to do what? Fulfill the law. Hey, I have come to make complete the law. I have come so that we can put the law to the side because after I've come, this has been completed and we're going to enter into a period of grace where if you will simply believe and put your trust in Jesus Christ or what He done on the cross and being risen from the grave, you can be saved yourself. It does not fall under the law anymore. So He did not come to do away with the law. He came to complete the law. The last thing, and this is just, this is just a few. This is not uh, exhausting of, of all the things that He did not come to do. He did not come into the world to be served. This is in Matthew 20 and 28. Jesus didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve. He came into the world, and we, we see this overwhelming thing all the way through Jesus' life, that He came for you and me. He came to serve you and me, not to serve Himself. So those are three, a few things that, that we look at. So, we come to the question to this morning, so why did Jesus come? Take your Bibles with me, look in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 13. And now, now keep your finger right there where the verse is or, or just keep up with where we're going because we're going to have to stop and start a couple of times. And I want us to begin by looking at verse number 13. And this is going to kind of give us what's going on when we read this. Okay, verse number 13 and it says, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So this is what this tells us. Watch this. Now, we know that Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness and the devil tempted him for 40 days. So when we look at this verse, we realize, well, he had just been in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Well, does anybody know what happened right prior to him going into the wilderness? He was baptized. That is exactly right. So here Jesus is, he's been baptized. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus goes down, now John the Baptist and Jesus kind of had a conversation. John the Baptist says, Hey, I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus says, No, I need to be baptized of you to fulfill all righteousness. And there's a big message behind that, being fulfilling all righteousness. But then as Jesus is being pushed down or, or baptized in the water, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit descends as a dove and lights and, and, and dwells Jesus. And a voice from heaven has heard and has said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So this is what just took place. Jesus was baptized. Now Jesus goes and spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted of the devil. And now... He goes into Galilee. 
Okay, we're fixing to read this next verse. And he begins to do all of the things that God has told him he is called to do. Look at this next verse, number, verse number 14. And, re- and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the regions round about. Now, why in the world would Jesus' fame be spread about all around the region? Well, I want you to know, after Jesus was baptized and his ministry began, it doesn't tell us of the things that he is doing here, but we read in the Scriptures and understand that Jesus came healing the sick, raising the dead, making the blind to see, the paralyzed to walk. And I want you to know, and Jesus is beginning to preach and to teach, and this is the testimony of many. They're going, my goodness, We've never heard anybody preach like Jesus. My goodness, He preaches and we understand what He's saying. He preaches with such authority. Man, we've never heard a man preach like this. I want you to know, people were going around, whoop, whoop, lifting up Jesus. Man, they were glorifying Jesus. Man, this is the man. Never seen anybody do anything like He's doing right now. It says right here, watch. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out fame of Him all through the regions round about. Verse 15, And He taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. Now let's make sure we understand what a synagogue is. I have to tell you, when I was growing up, I always thought the synagogue that they were talking about was like the temple. Uh, Not at all. Listen, synagogues were just like what we have right here. A synagogue was just a building where the Jewish people met to study God's Word, to have Sunday school. They would, someone would come in and read a scripture and expound on it. Synagogues were all over the place. Synagogues were in towns where other people couldn't get to, say, Jerusalem to go and make sacrifices. Listen to this. They made no sacrifices and stuff in synagogues. It was just a place that they came to worship. As a matter of fact, one of the first places that you read about synagogues in the Bible is when the nation of Israel has been taken captivity to the nation of Babylon. So now they have been transported 900 miles away from their homeland, and so they set up synagogues. I'm sure most of those synagogues began in people's houses. And they said, hey, listen... We want to talk about the God that we put our faith and trust in. And here, y'all come to my house. Hey, well, why don't y'all come too? Well, here, why don't y'all come? And before long, the, the meeting got so big, they said, hey, why don't we pull our money together and build us a building over here and start having church or talking about our Lord. That's where synagogues began. So now Jesus is going from town to town He's meeting in these synagogues. He's taking the Old Testament and he's reading and he's expounding on it and he's telling them about how God loves them. So look at that verse again. It says, And he taught in the synagogues being glorified of all. I'm telling you, Jesus' popularity is growing in leaps and bounds. But then he goes back home. He goes back to Nazareth. And now let's look at what is taking place here in Nazareth. In verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, 
where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up for to read. Verse 17, And there was delivered to him a book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, the place that he is reading from is Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And if you go there, you're going to see that this is exactly what Jesus is reading from. And this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised or uh, in captive, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and he sat down and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now watch, here comes Jesus into Nazareth. He is sitting in the synagogue right now. He's got the Bible opened up and he reads the scripture and everybody has heard the proclamation of what's taking place. Jesus is doing all of these miracles and I, can you see them? I mean, they're on the edge of their seat and they're watching Jesus. What's the next thing he's fixing to say? And look what it says. And he began to say unto them, This day is this is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? And this is what the people realized. They looked at each other and they said, Wait a minute. Joseph? That's Joseph's son. Jesus. He is saying that he is this guy that is going to come and preach. This boy that we know is Jesus, that he built a table for me. It's in my living room right now. He is calling himself the Messiah? Wait a minute. Look what it says in the next verse. And all bore him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Listen there, whoop, whoop, Jesus here for a little bit. And now they're going, wait a minute. So then Jesus says this. Now listen to this. He said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in thy country. In other words, they said, Okay, if you are who you say you are, we've heard that you've been down in these other places healing and making people well. Here, prove it. They're wanting to see a miracle. They're wanting to see Jesus do something right then. We're not going to believe you. We know who you are. You're Joseph's son. We don't believe you are the one who is going to come and preach and heal the blind. Show us and we will believe. They're challenging Jesus as to what he is saying. They're not believing. They're not believing. Jesus just told them, I'm going to be the one. I'm the one that's fulfilling this problem. He says, I don't believe you. Then Jesus gives them an example Watch this. Verse 24, And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I will tell you of the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the day that Elijah, when, he was, uh, when the heaven was shut up for three and a half years, three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elijah sent 
save unto Seraphith, a city of Sidon, unto a woman who was a widow. Now, this is what he said. Listen to this. He said, you need to understand, people. And he's talking to the people he was raised up around. He said, you need to understand, in the day of Elijah, remember Elijah prophesied to the king, and he said, there will be no rain until I come back and say that there will be rain. And he goes and he calls up, and this is the one that built the altar and had fire called down from heaven. And when he was in need and the land was all dried up, God sent him to a widow woman in a Gentile city, and he provided for Elijah from a Gentile woman, not even a Jewish woman. This is what he's saying. He says, don't y'all understand that there were a whole lot of widows in the Jewish country that God could have sent me from, but y'all won't believe. I'm going to send Elijah to a Gentile woman, and I'm going to bless him through her. Oh, let me tell you, these group of people right here are getting their feelings hurt. Watch what else he said. Now he loses Elisha as an example. And he says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian, another Gentile. When Elisha was a prophet and he was going around healing people, guess what? None of the Jews believed and worshipped God as God. He said, I could have sent Elisha to Jerusalem, but y'all refused to believe. Elisha healed a man of leprosy in another country, not in Jerusalem, not in Israel. So he is giving them comparison to what God has done in the Old Testament. He says, listen, I have come to tell you I am the Messiah and y'all will not believe me. So look what happens. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of a hill whereon their city was built and they might cast him dead uh, down headlong. But he passed through the midst of them and he went his way. Oh my goodness gracious. Look up here in chapter 15. Whoop, whoop. Here comes Jesus. Whoop, whoop. We love you, man. You are the man. When you get down to verse 29, they took him to the edge of the hill and they wanted to push him off to his death. Look how quick they turned on Jesus. Hmm. I was studying for this and I came across an illustration and I thought this was so good. They said if somebody had had a camera on Mount Calvary and they would have stood and took a picture of Mount Calvary and Jesus on the cross with His crown of thorns and His body ribbled with with lashes and nails in His hands and His feet and piercings in His side and they had taken this picture in the foreground In the front of this picture, you would see Jesus on a cross. And in the background of this picture, you might see donkeys grazing on palm branches where just a few days ago they were throwing these palm branches down saying, Hail King David! Hosanna to the highest! How quickly they turned on Jesus. My prayer is that's not us this morning. Do you see how quickly they turned? 
on this day. He came in and he's, he come there to save them and they refused to believe that He is who He said He was. Same on the cross. When He came into the city, they thought He was the King. But when He didn't overcome the Roman government, listen, when He didn't do what they wanted Him to do and how they wanted Him to do it, then they disbelieved. So when we look at this, And we're talking about what took place then. We come down to this question. Jesus, knowing all of this was going to happen, Jesus knew they were going to crucify Him. Jesus knew He was going to come and they were going to reject Him. Let's ask the question then, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Here are the three points that I want to make this morning as to why did Jesus come. Number one, Jesus came because He was sent. You ever thought about that? Jesus came because His Father sent Him. Now I want to use a couple of verses here and we want to explain it. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, it tells us this. That let me tell you what's going on when you, before we get there. Jesus has gone to Samaria and He's met with this woman at the well. Many of you know the the story that takes place. He's sitting there having a conversation with her and He says, listen, I know all things that you've done. Bring your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're with right now, you're not even married to. (gasps) How did He know that? And they had this conversation. And He offers her living water that she'll never thirst again. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen... Believe on me as the Messiah. And you'll have life and you'll have eternal life. And she does. She believes and if you read the story, she runs back to the city and she tells everybody she can find, come see a man that told me all things that I have ever done. Surely this is the Messiah that we've been looking for. So she's run back to the city and the disciples see this lady running back towards the city and here they're coming from the city because they had gathered food and they've got a couple of sandwiches with them, and, and they come to Jesus, and this is what Jesus said to them. Let me find the verse. John chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said unto them, listen to this, He says, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, and to finish His work. They said, Jesus, we brought you something to eat. He says, You don't understand. I am full. Because I have accomplished what the one who sent me, sent me here to do. Man, a great... But did you notice what he said? I came to do the one that sent me. Here we find another example in John chapter 7, in verse 15. He tells us this is where uh, Jesus is sitting there talking to his brothers. And listen, his brothers do not believe that he is the Messiah. They don't believe that. And they said, hey, uh, Jesus, are you going to go into town? They're having the big feast in Jerusalem. Hey, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to go. He says, y'all go ahead. Now, they were Jews. They went and they went to... And then Jesus came in later. And Jesus came in. He didn't come in with a big procession. He just kind of slipped in and he went into the temple this time. All right, was it the temple or the synagogue? Uh... I can't. I don't see it right in the front of me. But he, he came in and he began to teach again. 
Look what it says in John 7 verse 15. It says, And the Jews marveled, saying, How knowest this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not my own, but his that sent me. And if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak it of myself. He that speaketh of himself speaketh of his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him. The same is true. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not doing anything that I want to do. I am doing and fulfilling the job of him that sent him. Somebody tell me, who sent Jesus? God did. The Father. God the Father. The third one is, in John chapter 12, it tells us Jesus has already now, Jesus has already come in to Jerusalem for his last trip, and he comes in and in verse 49, he says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. For I know that His commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Jesus says, I'm not saying anything that the one who sent me did not tell me to say. Jesus is not speaking for Himself. Jesus is speaking on behalf of the Father the one that sent him. Okay, do we understand? One of the reasons that Jesus came to this earth was because he was sent. Everybody got that? Number two, second point. The reason that Jesus was sent is because we had got ourselves in a bind. Okay? Now, I... I I, listen, I don't want to make light of what I'm saying here. Because I'll get to the point here in just a second. But Jesus was sent, and Jesus came because you and I were in a bind. Me and you were stuck. Me and you were in a fix that we could not get ourselves out of. Okay? The Bible tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are in a bind. There is a situation that no one else in this world can get us out of. Your mama and your daddy can't rescue you. How many of you had your mom and daddy rescue you before? Man, I have. I'm, I've rescued some of my kids out of bad situations. Man, I am glad. But I'm telling you, this is a situation your mom and your daddy can't get you out of. Hey, I remember now, this, this is probably somewhere, I, this is a little rabbit trail. It just popped into my mind. But I remember when I was growing up, uh, I turned 16 and I was smarter than everybody else. I had a 68 Chevrolet two-wheel drive pickup that could go anywhere those big pickups could go. And I remember I went around the, the river and, and got on the backside miles away from everybody else and I got my truck stuck. I'm talking, I had it bad. But listen, I was too proud to call anybody to come pull me out. I especially wasn't going to call Charles or Steve. They had four-wheel drive Dodge pickups. I wouldn't dare going to let them pull out my Chevrolet. I spent most of the night there digging with a shovel, cutting limbs and bushes, sticking them under wheels, and I got that thing out all by myself. But let me tell you something. Every single one of us are in a bind. And you can't rescue yourself from sin. 
If you'll remember last July, there was a group of there was a group of boys, and uh, they followed their their coach into a cave over in Thailand. Any of you remember that? There was twelve boys and a coach, and they after soccer practice one evening, they went into this cave and. And as they got down into the cave, the flash flood came and some of the places that they had been walking through now filled with water. They tried to walk out and they were not able to walk out because there was now water where a path used to be. So they began to walk farther down into the cave. And the farther they got into the cave, the worse the situation. And the water kept coming up and kept coming up and kept coming up. They went deeper, deeper, deeper into the cave. And listen, they finally wound up three miles, three miles into this cave. And that's where they were for ten days. For ten days. Now, let me ask you, how many of you know a person who is trained in diving in caves with scuba gear to rescue and find people who have gotten themselves trapped. Does anybody even know anybody that uses scuba gear to go discover out caves? Do you know how many people there were? Do you know how many people they found that were trained well enough to be able to go into this cave? Worldwide, six men. They found six men that were trained well enough to, the, to find the gear enough to go into these caves and rescue them. Now, you want to know something? After ten days, and that scuba diver, or that whatever the kind of diver he was, he had to wear the air packs and everything. Three miles is a long way. And when he popped his head up, boop, I want you to know, those young boys did not say, Oh, you're not who we expected. You're not the the right race. You're not the right color. I don't like the color of your scuba gear. I No. Listen, these boys were in a bind. They were in a fix. They were stuck. And I want you to know they were ready and willing. They didn't even care if it was a girl. They were ready for anybody that could rescue them out of the situation they were in. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They, they had needs that needed to be met. And listen, those boys got themselves in that situation and somebody had to rescue them. That is where you and I are in our sin. We have got ourselves in a situation because every single one of us is born with the nature to sin and we have sinned against God and God knows only one who qualifies to rescue you, and that is Jesus. Who? I'm excited. I was sitting there thinking about a song that pretty much describes almost exactly what we're talking about. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love Heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. That's the whole story. Jesus came. He lived. 
He died. He rose from the grave so that He could get us out of this gap or get us out of this stuck position. And this is what most of us... I'm not going to... Let me take that back. This is what you hear from some. Well, I realize that I'm, I, I need to be saved, but I'm going to do it my way. Do you think those boys... Do you think those boys, when they were in that situation, were informing those divers on what they should do to get them out of there? No, I'm telling you, those divers said, look, you do exactly what I say. You don't go to the right. You don't move to the left. You breathe when I tell you to. You duck when I tell you to. You do exactly what I tell you to do, and I will get you out of here alive. Jesus says, you're in a a bind. If you want to have everlasting life, you do exactly what I say. Jesus came because you and I are in a bind. That's why Jesus came. Last one. Number three. Jesus came because He is a Savior. Jesus came because He is a Savior. Understand, there is no more or no other Savior. There is nothing, you can't do it on your own. No one else has done what Jesus done. Jesus is the only one qualified to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Jesus is the only one. Me and you cannot do it for our friends. Me and you cannot do it for our children. Jesus is the only one that can do it for every single individual in this room. He is the Savior. I remember when I was working in the fire service, we would be dispatched. We would be dispatched to a horrible car wreck and people would be mangled in the, in the part of the car and they couldn't get out on their own. And we would be there. We had been trained. We were qualified to rescue these people. And listen... The people in the car, if they kept trying to tell us how to do it, it it didn't do them a whole lot of good. They're not trained to rescue. We were trained to rescue. We were dispatched to the scene of this horrible incident. Jesus was dispatched by His Father to this horrible situation that we find ourselves in this earth. And then this is what He tells you and I. He says, listen... All you've got to do is believe. Put your faith and trust in the one that I dispatched to your situation. He qualified himself by being crucified and making a payment on the cross for your sins. And I I use this verse so often. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you'll believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be rescued. Thou shalt come out of this horrible situation that you find yourself in. And he says, and I will give you eternal life. Do you understand the opposite of eternal life is eternal death or separation from an almighty God. And without Jesus, that is what we will suffer. This is, this is Jesus being the Savior. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it 
this is the King James Version, it says, but God commended His love toward, towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, that means we're all in a bind and God sent His Son. This is the New Living Translation. I like this and it says, but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. Listen, God did not wait until we got gooder. He did not wait until we had the plan. He did not wait until we stopped doing all the things that we were doing. God sent Jesus to rescue us while we were still bad people. Because He loved us. He showed His love to us in that way. 1 Peter 1 and 19 tells us that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 John 4.13, it says this, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, talking about Jesus dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, and He in us because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Listen, if you're here this morning and you found yourself in that that horrible situation where you were stuck, where you were in a bind, and the day came and you recognized that Jesus was the only one to get you out of that, and you said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe that you sent Jesus, your Son, to die on the cross for my sins. And God, I know that you raised Him on the third day to justify me. God, I'm praying and asking you right now to forgive me of my sins and save me. Because I can't get out of this horrible situation myself. The Bible tells us that God immediately saves us and changes us. He makes new creatures out of us. That new creature is because the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. And you experience a change that you can never explain. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. A peace that passes all understanding that you can't hardly explain. My, my, my. Last verse. John chapter 1 and verse 29 tells us this. The next day, John, seeing Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. The sins that we're talking about is what has got us captive. I, I'm just sitting here and I'm just kind of rolling through my mind situations as we read them in the Bible. The woman at the well, my goodness, she was in a bind, and God set her free. Matthew was sitting at a tax collector's table, and Jesus says, come follow me. Man, he got up, and man, all of his, everything that he had, that was the situation he was in, every bit of it was cured right there immediately because he had let Jesus rescue him. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and Jesus come in, and he changed his life. And we could go over and over and over. Bartimaeus, another one that God gave him his sight. All of these situations... I plead with you this morning. If you've not recognized why Jesus has come, let me tell you, He came for you. And listen, He will not save you on your terms. He will save you on His terms and what His Word declares. So our invitation this morning is if you don't know Jesus, come to Him. His way. And He'll save you. But that's what Jesus came for.
Number one, he was sent. Number one, he was sent. <laughs> Come on, work. Huh? Number two, the reason he came was because we're in a bind. And number three is because he's the Savior. He's the Savior. Let's stand. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning that that we've had whew, to lift up the name of Jesus. God, we see what you've come to do, and you've done it out of pure love for us. God, you've recognized that we're in a situation that we can't overcome on our own. You came to save us. You did not come to judge us. You did not come to do all of these things. God, you came to save us and give us an opportunity to live for you the rest of this earthly life. And then, God, you saved us for a time of eternity in a place called heaven. Thank you so much that you have given us this opportunity this morning. I don't know what the needs are this morning. Some of us may be trapped, need rescuing out of a situation in our own personal life. And we are a child of yours. God, I just pray that you'll let us just just throw that at your feet this morning and and uh, and lead us in the direction of, of righteousness in these situations. We love you, and we give you this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this invitation hymn together.